ladies and gentlemen, Greg Bruce. Shop District of Soho, where you can buy every implement and giga that your heart ever dreamed of, or that your mind, your bent, warped, horrible, twisted, hunchback, dark ass mind in the cavern of its most depravity could possibly imagine. And having said that, it's good family fun. And you know, it's getting time squareified here. Uh, I see more and more places like, you know, the lobster roll, which is clearly a chain and shit like that. If this had been a lobster roll when I first came to London, it wouldn't mean lobster roll at all. It would be a place where you dressed up as a crustacean and someone boiled you in a pot and then poured butter over you and then spanked you with a wooden spoon for half an hour. <laughs> Don't let it happen here. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you know, oh, but at the strip joints, then kids can't come. Good. Um, that's the point of Soho. This is a place to score drugs and stay out all night long. This is not a place for children to go. Uh, let them go to Euro fucking Disney or somewhere if they want to have a good time. Uh, <laughs> You'll miss it is all I'm saying. As soon as you gentrify neighborhoods and all of a sudden it's just white IT people walking around being douchewads every second of the goddamn day, you'll pine for the day. You'll pine for the day when a hustler came up to you and hustled you on these very streets and stuff and offered you every manner of mayhem here. Driving over here tonight, uh, we were uh, in the... Uh, by the way, uh, this is the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, and we're on the air. If you're listening out there in Proofcast land, uh, right on. Uh, it's a great time to make some chamomile tea whoa and then spike it with laudanum because that's what you're going to need to get through tonight's mind-bending miasma of caterpillar secrets Uh, it's going to be it's warm in this room let me describe the surroundings for you normally we're in the bar downstairs which is called Soho something below Uh, today we're up in the main theater and there's an oil drum to my left there's uh, tires behind me there's a what appears to be a step unit with what looks like seagrass sticking out of the back of it. Um, actually, it looks like the Docklands in the 80s. And uh, I'm forming a white supremacist group as we speak because of the backdrop that we've got here. I have no idea why we're in the post-apocalyptic desolation room here tonight, but uh, I'm going to go with it and get a green mohawk before the show's over. Watch out for the pools of alkali. You're going to have to fight rats the size of standard bread poodles to get your way out of this goddamn room. That's all I know. It's a theatrical experience tonight. We're normally simply an alcoholic miasma. Uh, I've used miasma twice now. If you can guess and count how many times I use it by the end, you get nothing. (laughs) We're driving over here tonight. Well, I wasn't driving over. I was driven over. I would never drive in London in the rain. And uh, uh, so we were in the the cab and uh, and, uh, a van pulled up in front of us and it was in front of us for ages. And finally I looked at the back of it and it said ice, ice on it. And then a number to call. And I was like, really? That's the funkiest fucking ice truck I've ever seen. Juan, will you play that song for a second? Because this is all I could think of when I saw the back of it. When we were driving along. When you see a car that says ice, well, it was a van. When you see a van that says ice, ice on it. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden. VIP. I 
always feel like stopping and collaborating and listen. I think my favorite thing about the song is that he says, Shades on the gauge and vanilla's on the nine. We're to understand that this white guy with a bad fade, wearing a busboy outfit, is parking a nine millimeter, right? And then there's a scene later when there's just shells falling on the ground and shit, like he's having a shootout with the police. More like a hassle in the convenience store, you know what I mean? Like I said, gum, brother. Oh, I thought you said chiclets. I need to pull that up and shit. My goodness, this is tight. Is this what theater's like? It's impossible to operate the machinery. Well, never mind. Fuck it. Uh, in any case, uh, I've been given gifts here. And they're uh, most divine. I was given a bottle of vodka before I had uh, <laughs> an aunt, alley. And it's called Black Cow Pure Milk Vodka. And it's produced on the West Dorset Coast. Is there an East Dorset Coast? <laughs> would that be the other side? That would be the uh, Caspian side of Dorset. Black Cows, thank you for knowing what the Caspian see is. Is the only world's only pure milk vodka? I should think. Uh, I adore what cows do. I think they're awesome. But you don't really see them drinking that much. You know what I mean? Made entirely from the milk of grass grazed cows and nothing else. Fresh whole milk makes an exceptionally smooth vodka with a unique creamy character. Evidently, this is the vodka that cats call for by name. You want black cow? The invention of West Dorset dairy farmer Jason Barber, whose inspiration came, let me just guess, I haven't read this yet, from being an alcoholic in West Dorset all alone on a farm. Looking around him all the time, going, I'm tired of driving into town. I don't want to get in the fucking van again and go all the way into town and buy vodka. These cows have to be good for something else besides clotted cream. I'm tired of making scones. To diversify the produce from his 250 strong dairy herd. I love how herds are strong, you know what I mean? You never, does that mean this crowd is like 80 strong tonight and shit like that? Uh, while developing his deep personal interest in vodka. Well, there's something we share. <laughs> As I say in my fabulous book, which, by the way, you weren't required to buy, but if you'd like to leave the building, you'll have to buy one. Um, <laughs> vodka is just water, or water is just vodka that gave up. Uh, the milk is separated into... I have no interest in the process. Black cow is made from... Thank you. <laughs> Black, well, I hope it's done. I, you know, they're like, oh, then they, they distill it and they do this and they do that. I'm not giving a fucking tour, although I could. Well, here on the door, on the Black Cow Farm here in Dorset, we haven't quite finished building the barn yet. We had a marijuana farm here before, and apparently the carpenters forgot to bring nails. So it's a little. We've got a tire area here. This is for the kids to play in later. And, of course, there's some rusty mufflers back there if they want to get tetanus. Now, over here, this is where the milk is separated into curds and whey. The curds are used to make cheese. The whey is used to be in nursery rhymes later on. So they have no idea what the fuck it is. Especially yeast that converts milk sugar into alcohol. I've just started the process. The, the, the milk is then distilled and treated to a secret blending process. I can't show you. It's back there. It's deep in the depths. Right, it's right behind where the plastic office chair is and the shit music stand. That's where the secret process takes place. 
underneath the piano I keep on my farm here in Dorset. It's because of my deep personal interest in vodka and my knowledge, questing, 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 uh, search to find something to diversify this 250-strong herd that I bring of cows <laughs> to the fore. By the way, black cow is made from the same milk that's used to make Barber's 1833 cheddar. Yeah, so cogitate on that while you're lying in a pool of your own sick. What the fuck is that? Oh, it's one of those metal... I love how a strip of sheet metal indicates urban decay. I'd have put up a Starbucks to indicate urban decay. Because I'm out getting mine. Shays on the cage and vanilla's on the nine. You gave me a book. What's your name? Keith. Keith, thank you. Keith, you gave me a book before about Soho, did you not? Okay. <laughs> He's giving me this book here. It's called Straight from... You're going to answer while I'm talking? I gave you a whole... Oh, you gave me the Soledad Brothers book. Thank you so much. I love that book. I have it at home. Uh... Straight from the fridge, Dad, a dictionary of hipster slang. Righteous jive for all you weed heads, moochers, b-girls, gassers, band rats, triggermen, grifters, snowbirds, and long-gone daddies. And I would say uh, full-time kittens and non-stop studs. Um, let's just say stop here and we'll find some slang in there. there you go. Uh, or you could have said halt. Heavy sugar, a large amount of money. No one's ever said that. <laughs> Hepcat. Oh, look, there's my picture. Uh, hen pen, female prison. Really? Really? Hen pen? I just said prisoner of cell block H and shit. Here's your hat, what's your hurry? Get lost, go away. What am I in a Spencer Tracy movie and shit? That is fucking old. Oh, here's one. Here's how. A toast when drinking. Really? That's hipster slang. I love it. Mm. Hick, country bumpkin, unsophisticated. What do you hicks do around here for fun? Or for kicks from the film The Wild One, 1954? Um, I would also say a, a hick would be, a, say, someone who's running for president on the Republican side in America. <laughs> that means they believe in fictional characters like Jesus and God and shit and, and banding them around, right? How, what's your relationship with God? Really? I can't tell you about my relationship with God, but I can tell you about my relationship with Papa Smurf and Rainbow Bright. <laughs> Puff, to ride or walk by. Ooh, that's cool. Because yeah. now people say bounce, right? Like, we got to bounce and shit. To ride, walk, or fly. Puff. From the booklet, The Jives of Dr. Hepcat. <laughs> <laughs> You've entered the realm of Dr. Hepcat. <laughs> this is the jive of Dr. Hepcat. <laughs> I'm about to ride away from here. In other words, puff. Like smoke, you'll see me no more. But you'll feel the residuals in your lungs and in your nostrils the next morning when you wake up. With your pants pulled around your ankles, being sweetly surprised by a Norwegian man. <laughs> what happens in Dr. Jive's palace stays in Dr. Jive's palace. What happens in your house, you make on a video and give it to your grandmother. Songbird, female vocalist. Wow. Sourpuss, bad-tempered, ugly. Mm. Uh, C. Cameron, it says. <laughs> suitcase, a kit of drums. Really, a suitcase? Now, I call everything an axe because that's what the jazz cats do, right? A piano's an axe, and a guitar's an axe, and a, a, a trombone's an axe. 
Gene Tierney, Lauren Bacall, and any number of Jim Thompson characters could talk back with the best of them and eat most men for breakfast. Mm. When uh, uh, Bogart kisses Lauren Bacall in the movie The Big Sleep, uh, he kisses her and she goes, Hmm, I like it. I want more. That's a fucking reaction to a kiss. Don't go like, Oh, snap, I think there's corn in your mouth. Thank you very much, Keith, for this. It's really cool. And I dig it the most, daddy-o. Uh, it's solid. Uh, real wide child. Oh, wow. It was originally by Australian rocker Johnny O'Keefe. Remember that one? Hip gone, I'm a register. Okay, all right. Thank you for that very much. Uh, we're moving on and shit like that. So we were speaking of cows earlier, and we'll probably speak of them incessantly throughout the show. Uh, this is from Dylan Nelson, who tweeted me the other day. You can write me if you like. It's fanmail4greg at gmail.com. Uh, I don't uh, answer them all, but I read them all. And uh, sometimes I answer them, and people tweet me as well. And uh, I'm on a Greg Cruz. And he wrote, uh, cow, this is from the BBC, and here's the headline. Cow gets head stuck in chair in Northamptonshire. Athens. Moscow. Singapore. Northamptonshire. I'm Greg Proops, and this is the news. Our lead story in Northamptonshire tonight is one of grave global import. A cow got its head stuck in a chair. Here's some video. And then it says here, captioned, It is not known how the garden chair came to be in the field. And yet the controversy continues. Professor Quaid McDingle, the University of Northamptonshire, dead and retired, had this to say. And it's obvious when you find a chair in a field in Northamptonshire that the only possible cause could be aliens from the planet Lovetron. They often visit Northamptonshire in the dead of night and leave office showers everywhere, hoping to bag a cow to bring back to their planet. They ran out of hamburgers in the year 17 Zab. They've been starving for them ever since. That's why they've been sent to Earth on a mission to destroy our bovine population. Much as England did with Jakob Kreutzfeld mad cow disease in the 90s. Years ago, we were flying in, Jennifer and I, uh, and uh, we flew into Luton, of all places. Uh, what's Arthur Smith's brilliant line? When a man is tired of London, he's tired of living. When a man is tired of Luton, he's been there an hour. <laughs> that was Arthur Smith's line, not mine. Don't fucking quote me on it and shit. People always do that. Then they quote me on Twitter, and it's like, that's not my line, they're going to kill me. Uh, in any case, we were flying back in, and it was during the culling. That's how long ago it was, right? And the, the whole sky was black over fucking England, right? From dead livestock being burned because of the malfeasance of your fucking government. <laughs> they couldn't help it. Whatever. And uh, as we walked in, the guy at customs goes, looks at our passports and goes, Welcome to the Pia. <laughs> That's fucking England in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, the irony. Oh, the wry sardonic humor in the face of something so revolting beyond measure that only the plague can compare to the culling of a billion head of livestock and the cloud of smoke. And then it proceeded to rain. And all I could think of was we're being pelted with the livestock remnants coming down from the sky in precipitation. Uh, when I first came here in 1992, I was going to stay with my friend uh, Richard Vranch, who's here tonight, and... Uh, I was going to his crib. He used to live in Islington, right? And he said, take the tube to King's Cross and uh, 
uh, and then get off and get a taxi, right? So I got off the plane. I took the tube to King's Cross. I got in the cab. It was 1992. We're behind a double-decker bus. The cab driver turns to me and goes, where are you from? And I went, they were all white then. The cab and racist. That was the good old days in London. That was when cab drivers were fucking certifiably racist no matter when you got in and shit. Because the first thing they do would be like, you know, what's wrong with this country? I mean, like, I, I, I haven't the foggiest notion. What's wrong with this country? Fucking packies, that's what's wrong with this country. Oh, yeah. And you'd be like, could you pull over? I have to go to an intelligent cab. Oh, yeah, they did. Racists love to include you in their racism. That's what makes it fun for them. Isn't it? It's true. Uh, people who want everyone to love everyone don't come up to you and go, love everyone. And if they did, you'd be like, fuck off. Because you're English. And no one should love everyone, as you know. Well, you know how it is. You don't date. You go out in groups, and then you shag each other, and then you don't talk about it forever. When you see each other at work for six months, and they're like, huh, we were inside each other. Does that mean I like you? That's the problem all English people face. They don't know what affection is. You know what shagging is, but love, ooh, that's a toughie. Tough for English people. Because it means thinking about other people, and it means committing, and it means being with one person for a really long time and committing to them, and, sh- and the whole crowd's going quiet. <laughs> we did too know how to love. Yesterday night, I was at a glory hall, and I said to the guy, I love you. And he said, to quote Carol Churchill, bit tighter, sonny. <laughs> Really? Oh? There's other shows in Soho. You know what I mean? You don't have to fucking stay here. I don't know how many comics fucking dance and shit and read hipster jive books to you and include you in their world and let you into their fucking post-apocalyptic desolate terrain, fucking walking dead, zombie fucking land that we live in here. And then you have the fucking temerity and fucking mendacity to fucking owe at something I say. I was downstairs getting a drink for my wife before the show commenced. And uh, by the way, we haven't started yet, but we're going to start soon. (laughs) And uh, I noticed on Saturday night here, usually we play on Sunday, and it's a much hipper element coming in, I have to say. Uh, The people who come in on Saturday, I I think it's more like a regular comedy club situation. There seem to be kind of like dingwads that had just come in for whatever reason like we want to come out of the rain or we heard there's something fun here someone came I was standing at the bar and a guy turned to me and looked at me and I knew he registered me and he went hi how are you and I went hi good how are you and then he went I haven't seen you on telly in a while (laughs) and I was polite I said I've never seen you on fucking telly at all (laughs) I didn't say that I said, uh, I, I got a show downstairs in a minute, baby. And he was like, uh, uh, uh. I thought, uh, take you and your girlfriend and go where you want to be, which is with other men. <laughs> oh, snap. It is not known how the garden chair came to be in the field. Firefighters were called. <laughs> Does that mean you can't yell milk in a cloud in a crowd in a clouded theater? In a clotted theater. You, you mustn't yell milk in a clotted theater. In America, the definition of free speech is that, uh, that you're not supposed to yell, be able to yell fryer in a clouded in a crowded When you're clouded, when you're occluded, and there's a cumulus cloud accumulating, you mustn't yell cloud. Or cow, or milk, or anything like that. Reminds me of an old Smothers Brothers routine. Tommy Smothers says, I was running, I fell into a big vat of chocolate and I yelled, chocolate. 
Uh, only I yelled fire. And, and Dickie says, why'd you yell fire? And he goes, because no one comes running if you yell chocolate. <laughs> Which I disagree with. Firefighters were called out to assist a cow after its head became stuck in a plastic chair. Was it on fire as well? Was it the famous flaming cow of Northamptonshire? Because if it hadn't been in Dorset, they would have been tossed immediately into the Kurds and Whey separator, and then a secret process would have blended its fiery ass into a fucking distillated vodka that would blow your fucking kittens right out of their kitten socks. Baby. The curious cow became... How do we know it was curious? First of all, I'm not convinced of any emotions that bovines possess past I'm hungry and I'm not hungry. I mean, I'm sure cows have complex emotions like, oh, I love my calf, and then the calf's gone. I love that calf. I mean, I don't know what emotions cows are feeling. Like, oh, fuck, I want salt. And then, mm, fuck, I love salt, or whatever. I mean, really? Do they have the gamut of emotions? Are cows standing in a field and a, like a, a lightning flash happens and all the cows are like, fucking calm down, cool it. You know, no. Cows seem to have an equanimity that we don't possess. Uh, the curious cow. Hmm. I wonder what that is. Oh, it appears to be a sitting device for the pink smelly things. That would be people. Uh, the curious cow became wedged in the garden furniture at about 750 BST. Thank God we've got a precise fucking reading on this. Near Boughton. <coughs> Officers from Northamptonshire Fire and Rescue attended, but said the cow managed to get out of its predicament without their help. <laughs> well, if the cow got out of the garden chair without your help, how do you know that it became wedged in the garden furniture at about 750 BST? <laughs> I think that someone's holding something back. <laughs> I'm going to turn the lights off in this theater. When I turn them back on, I want to see that fucking cow on the stage. Someone in this room is a murderer. Good God, Holmes, how did you come upon that conclusion? Well, I think you'll find cows are the least curious of all the bovine animals. Now, if it had been a sheep, Watson, it would have run looking for a garden chair. Because if there's one thing sheep like, it's drinking outside. Every murderer has an English accent. It's true. For those of you listening on the podcast, an English person just said, every murderer... I'll translate that into American. Every murderer has an English accent. And you know, you have an English accent. Therefore, by deduction... I have determined that you are the murderer. I'm going to fuck you up. You may stop talking anytime you wish. <laughs> Sit in breathless wonder and gaze. It is not known how the garden chair came to be in the field or why the cow put its head through it. Well, it's difficult to know the motivations of animals. Let's just say this cow split apart from the rest and went, fuck it, you know what? I'm tired of fucking walking around eating grass all day and making vodka for this asshole. I'm going to go over to this garden chair and see if I can stick my head through it. And then when it did, it was like, fucking, that was fun. And then... Right, the fire brigade? And the cow, fucking cheese it. Fucking pulled its head out and shit. Then the fire brigade got there and Alf went, 
They called about a cow, but it's no fucking cow. I have no idea why someone in Northamptonshire had that accent. <laughs> Other than I only have two accents. <laughs> Shitty Cockney and fucking Toph from World War I. <laughs> Brian wrote me several weeks ago. Who's Brian? Never fucking mind. And uh, No, he wrote me on fan mail. And uh, uh, he said... Uh, what would the first hundred days of a proof doggy dog administration, if I were president of the United States, be like? And so we've been giving a lot of examples. The first one, of course, on day one was that I would ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And then I think the second or third day was we'd go after the banks and the mortgage companies and the brokerage funding companies and all of the financial institutions with a goddamn vengeance and put them all in jail where they belong to be. Lots of things like that. Uh, and then now we're up to day 73. Uh, Jennifer wrote all of these tonight uh, Day 73 of the Proof Doggy Because Jennifer will be not only my conciliore uh, And my first lady uh, But uh, she'll also be Secretary of Groove <laughs> yeah. And in charge of uh, uh, red wine Day 73 Washington Monument A gay disco with a disco ball <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the Eiffel Tower at night when they have a big holiday, when they have a Bastille Day in France, right? Because uh, France had three revolutions. England kind of had a Cromwell thing. <laughs> and then that was pretty much it. You guys don't revolve the way other countries do. And by that, I mean revolute. Uh, France never stopped revolving because they saw our revolution and they're like, we should fucking do that, like, I don't know, every 40 years or so. And one revolution will have, like, tri-cornered hats and powdered wigs and, like, moles painted on our face. And then the next revolution will have kicky fucking high-waisted pants and little hats and shit like that. And then the third revolution will, yeah. Then the third revolution will be communards arts and do the, right? Like, with French, it's always a fashion thing. Like, I'm gonna man, I'm gonna man the barricades, but I'm gonna tuck my breeches into my boots for this revolution. I'm holding a pitchfork, not because it's deadly. It just looks bitchin'. Because <laughs> the third one's after the Franco-Prussian War, where they ate all the animals out of the zoo and shit like that. I love France's revolutions. Your revolutions, wow, weak on the ground. As, as an English guy said to me years ago, a good friend of mine said, we're not very good at revolutions, only. Um, uh, but during the uh, Bastille Day, they, they light up the Eiffel Tower and they put a disco ball on the top and they play fucking disco, gay discos. Will you play something off the... Oh, never mind. Uh, then day 74, uh, this was Jennifer's, try to give Texas back to Mexico. I, I sent this here tonight to have it printed out. I didn't print it out at home. I don't have a printer where I'm staying. And they've stapled it together like it's my grade school project. So it's... Uh, to save money, by the way... Everyone who paid whatever, 15, 20 quid to get in tonight, they've printed on both sides <laughs> and stapled it together. Yeah, yeah think, of, think of the trees, man. Think of the ants. <laughs> Day 75. Alaska is a game preserve, no oil drilling. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have a beautiful state called Alaska. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. I was there years ago. Um, mosquitoes the size of fucking Cessnas, like the biggest mosquitoes. A mosquito came into the room I was sleeping in, and I heard it from like 20 feet away. It was like, <laughs> and then it got close, and you could hear the flapping of its wings. It was like a David Attenborough. The second animal to gain the gift of flight was the mosquito. It would, they're fucking huge. And the weed is called Matanuska Valley Thunderfuck. 
It, it was so damp, the weed, that I could not roll it into joints. I cut it up, I put it in a joint, and then I lit it, and it went... Like that. Is everyone going to fucking talk tonight? Who fucking invited everyone to the Oprah show? Get your own fucking podcast, England. We thought it was interactive. You fucking thought wrong. When I want to converse, I'll talk to myself. Okay? I have friends. Fuck happened here tonight? What am I, junglers or something? Try to be cool. Stop acting like you're from Acton. So I'm in I'm in the car in Alaska, and we're going to do a radio show, which was hilarious. Because we get to the radio show, and the two DJs are white guys with beards. Duh, it's Alaska. And one of them goes, where are you going this weekend? And the other one goes, I'm going to Dawson in the Yukon. That was for a hot weekend. And I was like, Dawson in the Yukon? Like where Jack London wrote about and shit? And where there's like dogs and people yell mush and we're finding gold and shit? Yeah, the fucking Yukon is next to Alaska. Um, And I had reindeer sausage, which, by the way, smell unbelievable. Gamey doesn't begin to describe. If you found a cow with its head inside a chair, it would, not, it would smell like the scent of violets on a fucking chrysanthemum-laden breeze compared to what reindeer sausage smells like. My other reindeer sausage experience took place in Grand Rapids, Michigan, outside of a comedy club, I swear to fuck, that was called Dr. Grins. I don't even know what that means. Like some, you know, in the old days, the, the joke in America was always uh, the chuckle hut or whatever. But there really was a club in America in the old days called Sir Laughs-A-Lot. Yeah. And, and shit like that. There's, there's one in New Jersey called the Stress Factory. And I always thought, do you mean you're inducing stress or you're relieving stress? Are you alleviating stress? Are you enforcing stress? And Dr. Grins, and it was on the third floor of a complex that had like a, you know, a bowling alley, a disco, a fucking pool hall, and then there was a crap restaurant, and then Dr. Grins in this horrible little room. So I went downstairs after the show, and it was pissing snow, right? But it's Michigan, so no one even notices. It's like going to fucking Newcastle in the wintertime and shit. People are wearing fucking tank tops and vests and t-shirts and like diapers and whatnot, and no one's wearing a coat. And the dude was running a hot dog stand out in front, and he had a, 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 a crazy fucking hat on and shit. And I go, what do you got? And he goes, I shot some deer in the off-season, and uh, I've made fucking deer sausage out of them. So I ordered one, and the bun was, whoa, it was pouring snow. So the bun was completely wet all the way through. And so I held the bun like this, mushed up against the dog, and fucking... <laughs> it was like filleting a mammoth. And... <laughs> I've never had anything as delicious in my entire fucking life. I was so drunk, and it was so good. And he put peppers and onions on it, and uh, that was a very exciting reindeer sausage experience. Um, so day 76, um, take Lanai away from Oracle. Lanai is an island in Hawaii. There's eight islands in the archipelago of Hawaii. And uh, we were in Maui last year, and you can see Lanai from Maui, right? Maui, you may remember that episode, I believe. You'll remember this uh, line. Fuck you, I was born in a cane field. And uh, that was where that took place. But it was within sight of Lanai. While I was on stage and the woman yelled, fuck you, I was born in a cane field, I could see Lanai through the window. Well, Larry Ellison from Lanai, uh, from Oracle uh, owns, I think, about 80% of Lanai. 
Uh, like for real, they, we've let an IT guy buy almost an entire island in a state in the United States. By the way, we're not Greece. <laughs> I know. Uh, take Lanai away from Oracle. Day 77. Bring the tens of thousands of people who were uh, 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 swamped in, uh, in Houston back to New Orleans. Uh, ten years ago, uh, Katrina happened, and they took hundreds of thousands of people from New Orleans and shipped them to, New to Houston summarily. Um, they made them leave their dogs. They made them leave their homes. They are relocated without any fucking um, advance warning whatsoever and without any whoa, uh, uh, support system. Um, some people might say taking someone from their home and putting them in another place would be called slavery. Um, but you can call it what you will. In any case, there's loads of people in Houston living there now who used to live in New Orleans. And their biggest complaint is they have to drive everywhere and they don't like the food. <laughs> However, the infrastructure is better in Texas. And they actually have like healthcare and shit like that. Uh, day 78, use presidential hologram to avoid being assassinated. <laughs> after, we, after we secede Texas back to Mexico, there's going to be some trouble, you guys. Day 79, abolish the death penalty. Yeah. We've talked about the death penalty too many times on the show. It's one of the great blights in America. It really, really is. It just shows our Puritan misery at its finest form. Day 80, prison reform. And that means uh, a rehabilitation, not just incarceration and torture. There's no reason. If you go to prison, you should be raped constantly, and that should be on your mind, and that we should be joking about that in any way. Obama addressed it earlier this year. Uh, the prison system in America is run for profit. That's why... America has more prisoners than any other first world country and why our system of slavery has transferred from slave owners to the state, you see, because once upon a time slave owners had to pay for the upkeep and feeding and maintenance of their slaves. Now they're all in prison and they have to do work for free, right? You see what I mean? Like build roads, make license plates, whatever it is people in prison do, answer phone calls for your credit card, whatnot. Uh, that's what people in prison have to do, and they do it for no money whatsoever, and that's what the prison profit system is all about, run by a giant system of enormous, icky, oligarch white guys uh, who want to keep that shit going. Uh, you know, things are going very well in the United States, and it's about time um, for a commercial right now. You know, sometimes... Sometimes when you run for president, people question your motives. Just because you're a billionaire who's been bankrupt four times, had three divorces, and had four deferments. That's when it's time to reach for a frothy man-bag beer. It tastes like you cock! When your cock starts to rock, man bag. Frothy because you can't be. Masculine because you're unable to muster it. You know, sometimes Mexicans come to a press conference and they want to ask a question. That's when you have to send them out of the room and back to their own fucking country. White privileged white billionaire asshole dudes with horrible hair don't have to answer to anybody. They don't have to respect people or their feelings or their cultural heritage. That's just politically correct bullshit. <laughs> when they enforce that stuff, it's time to reach for a cold man bag. Stick your hand in the cooler and grab something hard. It's the first time you've felt it in years. <laughs> You're an overfunded dickwad running for president demanding that everyone vote for you even though your misogyny and your racism fall off of you like shingles off a fucking ill pangolin. 
That's what man bags for, Camanchero. To reinforce everything you know is right. If a bitch asks you a question, it's because she's bleeding from somewhere. <laughs> Fuck that shit, cowboy. It's time for a man bag. When you want to ride tall, but your penis is small, it's man bag. Sit back, grab your balls, and entitle yourself to a man bag. You don't have to answer shit or no fuck about fuck all. All you know is you want the presidency and that you'd shag your daughter if she wasn't related to you. It tastes like a trump. It comes from your rump. It's man bag. Comes in six packs and billionaire packs. When you're over entitled, there's only one beer to reach for. It's man bag. Don't ask for it by name. Demand that the immigrant behind the counter give it to you and then fuck off back to their own fucking country where they can wear a turban and ride a camel to their heart's fucking delight while you run the capitalist society that everyone wants. When your cock's like a stick and you act like a dick, it's man bag. The Donald drinks it through his ass. Hey, Proof Kittens, we all know how sexy confidence can be, and that confidence comes from being comfortable. But how great can you feel if your underwear is wrinkling and riding up? Ooch! Me Undies gets it, and that's why they've created the world's most comfortable underwear for a daily dose of confidence. Me Undies is made from Modal, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. That's twice as soft as whatever underwear you're wearing right now, unless you're wearing gossamer spun from a cloud. Me Undies has tons of colors and styles, and the only place to get matching pairs for men and women. They even release a new design every month. I wear stripes, of course, because horizontal stripes, well. Plus, we all know that paying for shipping isn't that cool, so MeUndies has removed that from the equation. All orders in the U.S. and Canada ship for free. MeUndies even has a money-back guarantee. If you don't love your first pair, you get to keep it for free. You literally have nothing to lose. To sweeten the deal, MeUndies is offering you 20% off your first order at MeUndies.com slash proofs. That's a special offer just for my listeners. Make sure you go to MeUndies.com slash proofs to get 20% off your first order and so that they know we sent you. And I wish you happy underwear wearage. We're going to be lots of places. We're going to start the show, too. (laughs) Feels like it started. Uh... Let's see here. By the time this one breaks, we'll have already been in Amsterdam. We're in the smoke tonight. We're in the big smoke this weekend. (laughs) Um, We're in Amsterdam this weekend. Then we'll be in Boston. That'll be done by then. Uh, September 20th, we'll be at the LA Podfest. That's in Los Angeles, California. We'll be doing the Proofcast there at a lovely hotel in West Hollywood. Um, If you want to download the entire LA Podfest, you can. If you go to lapodfest.com and type in the code PROOPS, uh, P-R-O-O-P-S you can um, uh, uh, I think get a discount or you listen to the whole thing there's a million podcasters there for LA Podfest if you guys like podcasts um, you can talk back to it all you like because uh, you'll be listening to it on your phone and shit you can be at home and be all bold and stuff I invite you uh, to uh, download the, the code proofs and go to LAPodfest.com and come and visit us there September 20th I'll be doing uh, my podcast at 4 p.m. there, and uh, I'll be on Jackie Cation's podcast on the 19th, uh, the, uh, the Dork Forest, which is a wonderful podcast that the lovely Jackie Cation does. 
And I think we're going to do Women from History that night. September 26th will be in... Uh, 26th. We'll be in... Uh, we'll be in uh, Baltimore at the Baltimore Book Festival. I know, I didn't know they had one either. Um, uh, the 30th of uh, September will be in Toronto at the uh, Second City at the John Candy Theater doing the podcast and a book event there as well. October 13th will be at Lit Quake in San Francisco, which is so close to another word that I'm desperate to say. Uh, oh, September 15th will be at the Nerd Mountain Hollywood if you want to come and visit us there. Uh, that's our, one of our home clubs. Uh, we'll be back there on October 29th. And then I'm on the road with the Who's Line guys all over America. No one in England is going to go over. But if anyone in England is considering visiting um, Ontario, Canada, or... Uh, uh, Wisconsin or Illinois uh, will be in Windsor, London, Kitchener, Mississauga, Green Bay, Madison, Elgin, Batavia University Park in Bloomington, and also the Cree Casino. But well, we're not going to be at the Cree Casino. We're going to be at the Civic Center in uh, outside of Edmonton and Alberta on the 17th. Come and visit us at gregproofs.com or groupfreaks.com and be, uh, never yell cloud in a counted field. <laughs> and shit like that. Uh, the Boring Creatures part starts wicked early. Uh, Hillary is, was in Ohio this week. Uh, this is from Vox, which is uh, quite a good site that you'll find on the internet. Uh, on uh, August 27th, has of course been several weeks since then, but I wanted to talk about it. Um, Hillary Clinton was, has been addressing a lot of things in her campaign, and one of them was uh, abortion, right? Um, the, uh, you may know that in the United States, abortion is a giant issue because um, there's a lot of people who hate women beyond measure, and what they want to do... Yeah, it's not a matter of people... People go, well, some people believe that the fetus is a human being and other people... No, 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 no. Some people hate women. <laughs> that's what that's about. Other people want women to be able to do whatever they want with their bodies. That, that's, that's how it breaks down. Um, but what about your religious beliefs? Um, I don't care about your fucking religious beliefs. Get your religious beliefs off my dick. We've seen through the history of mankind what religious beliefs do to people. They start fucking wars. They foment fucking hideous torture. They make people behead people. They blow up sites of international fucking... Uh, uh, um, historical renown. They, they, they oppress everyone. Religious beliefs need to uplift us and bind us together because I would think at the back of all religions is the notion that we're all brothers and sisters and therefore should all be lifted toward heaven together at the same time. But that's not what religion is used for. It's used to divide. Religion is used to disinform. Religion is used to misinform. Religion is used to destroy people's notion of a free and fucking open society. Religion is used to curtail people's freedoms, much like the government used to do when the government was religion. Now, the government uses religion on the side to make you feel shitty about whatever it is you're fucking going to do. If you're transgender or you're queer or you're a woman or you want to uh, uh, give voice to your fucking thoughts and you're not a white privilege person. Religion is there to make sure that you feel fucking awful about that and that you don't get to do what you fucking want to do. Therefore, I do not subscribe to the idea that some people believe in their hearts that abortion is wrong. You can believe what you want to believe. That's your free and open decision. And I would never tell you what to believe, but I'm going to break it down for you what I believe, which is this. If you're against a woman being able to do whatever she wants with her body, then you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> and you really better reconsider. It's not a matter. It's a matter of empathy. Think about if you had an ovary and something happened inside your ovary and you wanted to do something with it. It's that 
fucking simple. You don't have to go into moralizing or shit like that because we moralize about the stupidest goddamn things. People moralize about eating too many carbohydrates. People moralize about drinking soda pop. People moralize about eating Xanthir. You know what I mean? Like the, the inanity of moralization. Well, you shouldn't smoke. You know what you shouldn't do? Be a judgmental fucking dickwad. You shouldn't drink so much. Really? You know what you shouldn't do? Pry into my fucking life. An abortion in the United States has been a, a giant issue forever. It comes up at every election. They've done nothing on the right but try to attack women's right to choose, which is, by the way, guaranteed by fucking law. The 1973 Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade guarantees women the right to fucking choose. It doesn't guarantee the right to be funded to choose, and that's what the argument is always about. We don't want federal funding to go to kill babies. Um, we kill babies every day all over the world. We're America. We're in charge of fucking killing babies. <laughs> We dropped predator drones on wedding parties. We invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. There's no counting the babies America's fucking killed. If you're worried about killing babies, call the fucking army and tell them to cool it for five seconds. If you're worried about killing babies, call the government and tell them to pay poor people some fucking money sometime. If you're worried about babies being dead, call some fucking billionaires like Donald fucking Trump and everyone who's running for president and ask them to pay their taxes. Ergo, there would be health care so that poor people don't have to die and that babies would fucking live and get an education. There's a million ways to not kill babies. Abortion is a matter between a woman and herself. That's fucking it. But what about consulting the man who got her pregnant? That would be nice. I don't consider it necessary in any way. Politesse is what that is. I'm having an abortion. You cool with that? Well, I good. <laughs> you, you know, seed bearers, I'm speaking to you for a minute. Your sperm means nothing to anyone. Don't you get why men are here? Women are the fucking vessel that are supposed to make mankind go on. If they don't want to, it's inconvenient. They're too poor. They're too sick. Whatever the situation is, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant what the reason a woman wants to have an abortion is. What's relevant is that your sperm is nothing. It could be anybody's fucking sperm. It's not special. It's not sacred. It's not individual. But what about my own DNA that's my own special genetic code? You're fucking bald. You have no chin. You're fat. You look like David Cameron. You're an asshole. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you for thinking you're special. There's five billion people in the world. How can you fucking be special? Try to live your life and not fuck anyone over. That's how special you can be, men. That's what your goal should be as a man. To try to not fuck too many people over as you stroll through life with your fucking privilege and your dick swinging everywhere, knocking into people's heads with your legs spread, sitting on the fucking tube so no one can sit fucking next to you, yelling at people on the street, yelling at women from cars, dressing poorly, expecting blowjobs, all the shit you pull all the fucking time. Try to cool it for five fucking minutes. That's your fucking job, man. But what about my seed? Your seed is not special. You look like Mike Huckabee, okay? That's what your seed does, okay? I'm sick of it. What about love? Exactly. I don't know what you said. This is what Hillary said. Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio is running for president. He's uh, in the psychopathic uh, insane party. 
about wanting to deny victims of rape and incest access to health care because that's the new hard line they're all taking. Uh, it used to be, oh, and it, it, but it only women can have abortions in case of rape or incest. Really? If a relative has sex with them or they're violated by someone they don't know and it ruins their entire life, those are the two fucking shining golden doors you open up to women? Oh my God, the largesse. Your heart is so huge, how do you get your jumper on? What if I said the only time you could take a boner pill is if you were going to ejaculate so far and hit mercury? (laughs) Victims of rape and incest. To an abortion. Jeb Bush, you may remember Jeb Bush. He helped George W. Bush rig the election in the year 2000. That was what Jeb Bush's job was. The state of Florida is where the entire election pivoted on. That's where Kathleen Harris, the Secretary of State, withheld votes. They struck people from the rules. They kept people from the polling places. You know the whole fucking story. Jeb was in charge of that for his brother. That's why he's running for president now. Jeb Bush says Planned Parenthood shouldn't get a penny. Oh, they all want to defund Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, of course, is a place where people can go to get condoms or any kind of counseling. All sorts of medical conditions are treated at Planned Parenthood. But the Republicans have demonized Planned Parenthood because it's for women. That's why they did it. Not because of any other reason. They don't have any morals. There is no morality to this. If you're for war, for the death penalty, for incarceration, and for guns yet you think babies' lives are sacred, there's a giant fucking logic train that just rang by. It's not going to stop here. Your governor right here in Ohio, that's John Kasich, he's also running, banned state funding for some rape crisis centers because they sometimes refer women to other health facilities that do provide abortions. I would like these Republican candidates to look a mom in the eye who caught her breast cancer early because she was able to get a screening for cancer, or the teenager who didn't get pregnant because she had access to contraception, or anyone who's ever been protected by an HIV test. Now, extreme views about women, we expect that from some of the terrorist groups. Hillary said that four days ago. We expect that from people who don't want to live in the modern world. And you should have seen the fucking shitstorm. Um, all of a sudden, I'm on the internet, every right-wing publication is like, oh my God! And then, what, what was the one I read today? The saddest things about Hillary saying that? There's nothing sad about her saying that. Not only is this analogy apt, it's absolutely fucking accurate. And you can include any terrorist group in this you want to. The ISIL or the ISIS or whatever you want to call them, the Boko Haram, whatever fucking group you want to uh, 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 gather in this group. All of them oppress and rape and destroy women's lives. And that's one of their main fucking goals. Aside from looting, shooting, and gathering wealth. Those are their other goals. They don't have a high overarching religious moral goal. Terrorist groups, and when I say terrorist, uh, the, the delineation between a terrorist group and a legitimate government is pretty fucking thin on the ground in this era. Let's be real fucking honest about that. I mean, America wants to bomb people. The prince, uh, the king of Saudi is coming to America this week, and Obama's going to meet him and shake his hand and kiss him and shit. They kiss. They, w was always kissing prince, uh, King fucking Saud when he was there and shit. They're bombing the Yemen. Everyone's bombing everyone. Everyone's killing everyone. In Russia, they're fucking uh, still in the Ukraine. All that shit is going on all the goddamn time. But the main goal of all of them is to accrue wealth and to destroy women's lives. Those are the two main fucking goals. 
Um, so when she compares the Republican Party to a terrorist group because they want to remove women's health care, it's completely apt. It's not a shitty analogy. It's a great analogy, and I won't fucking have it any other way. We expect it from people who don't want to live in the modern world, but it's a little hard to take coming from Republicans who want to be the president of the United States. Yet they espouse out-of-date and out-of-touch policies. They are dead wrong for the 21st century. We're going forward. We're not going back. Um, Hillary said it this week. Um, if you think Donald Trump is going to be president, that's a likelihood. I don't think it's a strong likelihood. <laughs> but then I said that about Ronald Reagan and W as well. <laughs> it's, uh, electoral politics in the United States are a dicey fucking proposition. We have elections where no one votes. We have elections where everyone votes. And sometimes it's the same election. <laughs> What's clear... Uh, yeah. <laughs> This is uh, from Vox, as I say. Now, this, that was the quote I read you from Hillary. This is the second part that they're writing. What's clear from the sometimes confusing rhetorical volleys, they're not confusing at all to me. When a Republican goes, well, I think the baby's life is sacred and, and fetuses should have personhood, that means they hate women and they're playing to the fucking grandstand. They want guys with beards who fucking shoot small animals to fucking vote for them. And they don't want black people to vote. They don't want people who are poor to vote. They don't want anyone outside of their fucking realm to vote. And they want control of the country back so that they can take it backwards. When any, I've said it before. It's so boring. But it, it happened during your election here. The, the, the phrase values comes up and traditional values. Traditional values are misogyny, homophobia, and fucking slavery. That's what traditional values are. There's a very consequential debate being had over whether, yeah, you're fucking right it's consequential because there are more women than men. The idea that women are even standing for this drives me up a goddamn wall. I don't understand why women don't burn the fucking world to the ground every goddamn day. When you think about what's going on in India, when you think about what's going on in Pakistan, when you think about what's going on in Syria or Iraq or Ireland or here in all of the poor communities, which is most of the fucking communities in England, or in all over America, or in the Western world, in South America and whatnot. When you think about what's going on in Asia or Indonesia, the, the unbelievable, or, or Africa, where uh, clitorectomies and fucking the torture and destruction of women's lives is fucking rampant. Why, I don't understand, do not women get up in the morning and fucking kill their husband with a rib roast and then fucking set fire to their village and fucking lock arms and just march to a lesbian destiny? I have no idea why women tolerate men whatso fucking ever at any point. All right, sex is fun, but the point is this. Or as George Michael said. Sex is natural, sex is fun. Sex is best when it's one-on-one. -on -one. I want your... Whether abortion is treated as a women's health issue... Now, it's a human's health issue. Are you a human or aren't you? That's the question you have to fucking ask yourself. Let's stop with there's women's issues and there's... Uh, uh, people of color's issues. Uh, obviously, there's women's issues and there's people of color's issues, but let's dignify them and let's have some respect for them. I get so fucking tired of the Donald Trumps and Jeremy Clarksons of the world <laughs> telling me that political correctness is trampling their free speech, their right to express themselves. They're 
rich and have every advantage and have every avenue to the media where I think you'll find a poor woman from, uh, say, Upper Volta has no voice in society, in the world. Or a poor refugee who's trying to get to Europe from uh, the Middle East crisis that's going on now and trying to make their way into Europe and, and, and is being shunted back by every fucking country on this continent. They have no voice in the world. I never, ever want to hear again that a white millionaire is having their voice stunted from them. What about you, Greg? You're a fucking entitled white guy. I own that. I am an entitled white guy. But I try to be on the side of the fucking angels occasionally and let people... I don't ever get up here and go, you know, if it wasn't for women and Mexicans, I'd be able to say whatever I wanted up here. (laughs) Fat girls, am I right? (laughs) No, you're not right. When Donald Trump says women are fat and ugly, all you can think of is do you possess no looking glasses at your house? <laughs> Not only are you repulsive on the outside, you're repulsive on the inside. You've managed to get the whole enchilada is encompassed. Uh, or whether organizations that provide health care for poor women, including abortion, will have access to federal funding for non-abortion services. Um, one of my platform points uh, when I become president is, uh, of course that uh, abortion is free and on demand, and that marijuana is not only free and legal, it's mandatory. (laughs) The reason this has an economic element is that the middle and upper class women have greater access to health care through private insurers, while women are dependent. Let's go to the fucking heart of the matter. The rich get whatever they want all the time, anytime. If you're wealthy and you belong to the upper 1%, let's just say, for instance, um, abortion is uh, on demand to you anytime you fucking like because you have a special doctor who comes to your house and bathes you and puts a diamante thing around your cooch and fucking does the process right then and there and everything's cool (laughs) and everything's schmool. Hey, that's smooth. Uh, If you're poor, you have to struggle and fight and you have to go to a back alley and maybe die from some fucking horrible shit that's pulled on you that's close to fucking torture. Um, that's the reality of abortion in the world, and that's the reality of birth control uh, in the world. There's nothing, nothing more important than giving women free and fair access every minute of the goddamn day all over the world to everyone uh, to, to birth control and to, and, and to women's health care at all times. Because if you don't respect women and you don't respect their right to health care and their uh, uh, undeniable... Um, uh, 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 right to their own choice, uh, then what respect have you for anything? I mean, honestly, have you any respect for yourself? Have you any respect for the moon and the stars, for the tides? Women are controlled by the tides. Men follow their dick around like an Irish setter. (laughs) If federal funding for Planned Parenthood is cut off, it will be harder for poor women to obtain abortions and other health care services. Uh, I couldn't agree with her more, and uh, that's why I'm on her side. A lot of my American friends are pretty fucking huffed off at me um, because I'm not a Bernie Sanders person. I love Bernie Sanders. I love uh, being a lefty from Vermont and a crotchety old man, uh, being from a state where there's nothing but white people. I think it's groovy. Uh, And I think he has a lot of good ideas. I hope he pulls the entire platform to the left. I've said it before, and I've said it again. I respect him as a candidate. I think he entered with all of the right intentions, and... 
I'll go further. I think the lack of attack mode on him and Hillary's part against each other has shown a certain civility that has been lacking in previous elections. And I think they'll carry on not attacking each other personally and not attacking each other on a lot of different things in order to keep the discourse high, which is to say that the topics are the disparity between the wealthy and the rest of us and women's rights and war and the economy and all of the things that really fucking matter to us on a day-to-day basis. Whether the government survives or not is of no matter to you as a person. Whether you can put three squares on the table and whether your family's healthy or not are the two most important things that can happen in the fucking world. Am I wrong or am I right? You know I'm fucking right, and girl, you know it's true. And so, (laughs) the point is... I had uh, a couple of elections that I went through where a lot of people were on my dick for being for Hillary. And people have said, oh, she's a warmonger. She did this. She did that. She did this. I'm not going to defend her, and I'm not going to go through the reasons. Months ago, I went through the reasons I'm supporting her. And if you ask me again if I'm voting for her because she's a woman, I'm going to ask you, are you voting for Bernie Sanders because he's a grumpy old white guy? That's my fucking answer to you. Okay? So I'm not answering it anymore. I love that you're concerned about my mental well-being. Because people are. Are you crazy? How can you support Hillary? I'm not crazy. She'll make a dandy president. Bernie Sanders is not going to be president by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm sorry to bring real politic into this and be cynical about this and talk about the corporate drive that runs the entire engine that moves the first world forward in our fucking everlasting quest to make HSBC richer. (laughs) But all y'all know what the fuck is what. You guys just had an election here and re-elected the most heinous candidate that stood since I've started coming to England 25 years ago when Margaret Thatcher stood down. (laughs) The minute you walked in the joint, I could tell you were a chick of distinction, a real big spender, good-looking, so refined. Now, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? Now, let me get right to the point. I don't pop my cork for every gal I see. Hey, big spender. Or uh, Shirley Bassey would do it. Hey, big spender. (laughs) Shirley Bassey doesn't sing songs. She fucking tilts at them. She jousts songs. Songs come into Shirley Bassey's world and she fucking bitch slaps them down and shit. He's the man, the man with the Midas touch. A spider's touch. Such a cool finger. Pretty girl, stay out of his web of sin. But don't go in. Jesus Christ, Shirley, you're going to burst a fucking blood vessel. That's why she's the greatest of all the Bond theme singers. And Tom Jones. He had the shittiest song, but he did the most with it. He knows the meaning of success. He gives less. I, think, uh, I like, he strikes like thunderball. Huh? 
one's ever struck like Thunderball. <laughs> that sounds like it would hurt. This is from Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times. I hate to say that I'm quoting the New York Times, and I hate to say that I'm quoting Nicholas Kristof, but it's a very good column, so here we go. <laughs> I put my head through a garden show just now. <laughs> the slaying of two journalists Wednesday as they broadcast live to a television audience in Virginia is seared in our screens and our minds, but it's a moment not only to mourn but to learn lessons. That's the kind of New York Times writing we get. Let me get to the good points here. More Americans die in gun homicides and suicides every six months than have died in the last 25 years in every terrorist attack and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. Come back, my darling. Welcome back. That's okay. Sometimes you have to urinate. We all do. We're on to gun control now. You're welcome. Whoa, Jesus Christ. Fucking wonky-ass table and shit. Of course, we're on a post-apocalyptic set. I think you'll find in the post-apocalyptic future, tables are wonky. You're going to have to desperately try to find a matchbook from a restaurant that's not there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Was the bar still open or did you? Just went to the bathroom. Thank you for saying bathroom. I appreciate that. Very American of you. If you'd said washroom, I would have known you'd been Canadian. Americans go to the bathroom because we're going to take a bath. <laughs> Canadians go to the washroom because they're going to wash. British people go to the fucking toilet. <laughs> fucking toilet. <laughs> you fucking toilet. <laughs> which way is the bloody toilet? Um, you know which way it is. Downstairs. I don't know why English people put the toilet below ground but that's where it is so now I'm drunk where's the toilet I'm fucking down the stairs mate I'm fucking drunk this is gonna be treacherous <laughs> then you get down there and if you've ever been in a men's toilet there's a metal trough sometimes urinal cakes which are unhealthy unwholesome and unhealthy And they taste like shit. (laughs) More Americans have died from guns in the United States since 1968 than on battlefields of all the wars in American history. And that includes the Civil War, which uh, 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 half a million Americans or more died in, uh, World War II, uh, uh, the Korean War, whatever war you want to add in there. More Americans have died from guns since 1968. I was eight years old in 1968. I'm 55. Don't do math. I don't want anyone to start subtracting and adding and shit. 55? Jesus Christ, Greg. I should have told you I'm 80. Then you'd have all gone, you look fucking great. You should run for president like Bernie Saunders. He's 80, isn't he? 
They call him the winner. Who takes our... Uh, American children are 14 times as likely to die from guns as children in other developed countries. I will also tell you that the second leading cause of, uh, of death in pregnant women in America is murder. Whether or not uh, the guy was insane, and I'm not saying the guy's name who shot everyone in Virginia, I refuse to say murderers' names. Our policies on guns are demented. Um, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has seven pages of regulations concerning ladders. Which are involved in 300 deaths in America annually. Yet the federal government doesn't make what I would call a serious effort to regulate guns, which are involved in the deaths of more than 33,000 people in America annually. Uh, gun proponents say, what about cars? They kill too. Cars are the best example of the public health approach we should apply to guns. Over the years, we've made cars safer seatbelts, airbags, limited licenses, crackdown on drunk driving, roundabouts, better crosswalks, safety inspections, rules about texting, and firearms. The gun lobby, enabled by craven politicians, has for years tried to block even research on how to reduce gun deaths. The gun industry made a childproof gun in the 19th century, but ferociously resisted smart guns. If someone steals an iPhone, it requires a PIN. Guns don't. Uh, we're not going to say eliminate gun deaths in America, but a, a serious effort might reduce gun deaths by, say, one-third, and that would be 11,000 lives saved a year. We're an outlier. The, the homicide rate in the United States is seven times that of the next country in the rich world, Canada, and 600 times that of South Korea, blah, blah, blah. I hate statistics. Here's the one I wanted to read you. Australia is the model. After the mass shooting there, the country united behind tougher firearm restrictions. The Journal of Public Health Policy notes that the firearm suicide rate dropped by half in Australia over the next seven years, and the firearms homicide rate was almost halved. Here in America, we can similarly move from passive horror to take steps to reduce the 92 lives claimed by gun violence daily. 92 people. There's a mass murder, in essence, every day in the United States. You're right to think we're fucking crazy gun-toting maniacs because we fucking are. 92 deaths. And mind you, there's 300 million people, so we've, you know, we've got the people. But <laughs> mind you, 92 deaths today is a shocking affair. Um, I am real, real sick of hearing about people talk about their rights to own guns. Obviously, you have the right to own a gun. They're not illegal. Uh, the right to own a gun um, when, with certain restrictions, say like you have to take a test that proves you're not a maniac or that there would be a waiting period or uh, that, that you wouldn't require an assault rifle. There's a million ways to do this. Uh, and it has to be done. I've, I've bitched about it time and time and time and time again. And so is the president, quite frankly, and so is everyone. The gun lobby is so powerful in the United States, and the politicians are so fucking venal and take so much money from them that that's where the problem lies. I don't want to hear about women killing babies ever again when the large amount of these 92 deaths a day are perpetrated by white fucking guys with guns. Moving on to something more delightful. Uh, Amelia Boynton Robinson, crossing, uh, Amelia Boynton Robinson, a pivotal figure in the Selma March, dies. Uh, I wouldn't use the word die. I would say ascends on a ladder all the way up to the most pink and perfect periwinkle fucking cloud world that's swirling out there in the universe. She was 104 years old. Young. This is... Uh, 
she crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge with President Obama earlier this year. We had the anniversary of Selma, which is a very big event in United States civil rights history. Martin Luther King was there, yes, but uh, Amelia Boynton Robinson, uh, she wasn't known that, as that then, uh, some 50 years ago, was um, the main instigator of the entire thing. They were crossing the Alabama River. The Alabama River is a symbolic uh, spot in Alabama. The, the bridge that crosses it is the bridge that connected uh, the slaves' cotton fields to where they were going to make their debarkation point and sell the cotton upriver. Alabama was quite wealthy during the era when slavery was institutionalized in the South. It's called the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and that's the bridge they crossed. A little background, and then we'll move on. The Smithsonian Magazine, because that's who I went to for this. I went to an actual website of an actual museum. I did not go to Google. Pettus was regarded as a hero in his native state. Why is it called the Edmund Pettus Bridge and not the Martin Luther King or Amelia Boynton, uh, Boynton Robinson Bridge or the Civil Rights Bridge? Because it was named in 1940 after this gentleman. Pettus was regarded as a hero in Alabama and adopted hometown of Sel uh, Selma. He was a lawyer. He was a statesman. He was a senator. He was also uh, a hero for the Confederate side in the Civil War. Uh, he escaped from a Confederate prison camp. He was uh, taken captive at Vicksburg, which was a terrible siege that the Union Army laid uh, upon the city of Vicksburg, Mississippi. My mother's from Casilla, Mississippi. Vicksburg is uh, outside of Casilla, and uh, it's near Jackson. It's on the Mississippi River, and uh, for 90-plus days, uh, the Union Army on the, on the uh, heights above Vicksburg rained shells down on the town until the people of Vicksburg ate every fucking dog, every cat, and every rat in the fucking town and started to eat each other, and that's when they fucking surrendered, right? And that was General U.S. Grant, who became, of course, our uh, 18th president. Um, in any case, uh, the, all that carnage aside, uh, Mr. Pettus... Uh, was uh, there's a man named um, Michael Flint, and he's a historian in Alabama. Uh, he, the Ku Klux Klan, as you, you know what it is, his fanaticism is born of a kind of pro-slavery belief that his civilization cannot be maintained without slavery. He, uh, he's a true believer, right? That's what this historian said about Mr. Pettus. After the war, he settled in Selma, the queen city of the Black Belt, one of the wealthiest regions in America due to cotton production. He arrived in Selma, a war hero, then he was a lawyer, then he ran for office. During the Reconstruction, when blacks, now free, and the majority of population in Alabama were terrorized by the Ku Klux Klan, uh, intimidation through violence was extensive. That's putting it mildly. This is the Smithsonian Magazine. They're giving you the soft soap fucking version. Intimidation through violence means picking up people on the street and taking them and lynching them. It means running people down in the middle of the night. It means burning people's houses. It means burning crosses on people's lawns. It means terror and anonymous terror. It means wearing hoods so that they can't see who you are and running that terror on the black community, which is what the Ku Klux Klan did and continues to do in the United States in the guise of a corporate mantle that they wear now. Do you understand? I think you do. Uh, during the Reconstruction, when blacks... Uh, right. In the latter part of the 19th century, Alabama led the nation in lynchings, and Dallas County was no exceptions. Pettus became, for Alabama's white citizens in the decade after the Civil War, a living testament to the power of whites to sculpt a society modeled after slave society. Now, that's from a historian. He was regarded as a hero... And that's why, and by the way, he lived into the 20th century, ran for office when he was 75 and won, and they named the bridge after him in 1940. The bridge was a big fuck you to the majority of black people who lived there because naming it after Pettus, you follow me. So, 
Should the bridge be renamed? This discussion came up earlier this year in the United States. No, it shouldn't, and here's why. For the same reason, they've excised Jimmy Savile from all of the fucking um, uh, top of the pops that they show uh, on all the uh, you know TV channels, now on BBC whatever, BBC 18 or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> when they show top of the pops, Jimmy's not there anymore, and I'm all for it. Jimmy Savile was a pederast and a monster, and there's no question that he should be reviled. And when people say to me shit like, which they still say, well, you can't blame the BBC, you fucking can. <laughs> Not only are they complicit, they're fucking involved in this up to their ass. Um, although they're all dead now, the people, I'm sure, that helped uh, Jimmy Savile uh, perpetrate his monsterhood on everyone. It's not so much that we should excise Jimmy Savile from those BBC videos, although it's nice not to see him. You must remember history. You must note and mark history. By pretending it didn't happen or by excising characters from history or episodes from history is to deny what happened, not to fucking accept it and move on and get yourself involved with what the future can bring by what you know, but rather to fucking say that it never happened. So this is a a, a part of a letter, a very short paragraph, from John Lewis and Terry Sewell. John Lewis was in the march in 1965 with Amelia Boynton. John Lewis is still a congressman in the United States from the 6th District of of Alabama. And he wrote this with Terry Sewell, who's from the 7th. And Terry Sewell's a black lady. Uh, They're both black people. And this is what they wrote about renaming the Edmund Pettus Bridge. We must resist the temptation to revise history. The Edmund Pettus name represents the truth of the American story. You can change the name, but you cannot change the facts of history. As Americans, we need to learn the unvarnished truth about what happened in Selma. In the end, it's the lessons learned from our past that will instruct our future. I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm glad when you go to Berlin that they took down Hitler's bunker and buried it. And there's no marker and no monument because they knew if they left one, neo-Nazis and fucking white supremacists would gather there all the time and leave flowers and have rallies and shit that they like to do. However, at the same time, you can't forget that he existed. You can't forget that Jimmy Savile was a pederast. You can't forget that Bill Cosby is a serial rapist of fucking women. You can't forget these things. You have to remember them. You mustn't excise Bill Cosby from the memory of mankind. You must acknowledge that we've empowered men to do the things they've done and that the evil that they do, uh, as Shakespeare said, is often turred with their bones. Let's not let it be interred with their bones. Let's realize it, acknowledge it, and fucking absorb it and move on. That's what educated, sensitive, informed people do. To deny is to, is to be... You're, you're not letting the truth come out uh, at that instance. Ooh. You have to... Yeah. And this is what they wrote, and this is very beautiful. We should never forget that ordinary people can collectively achieve social change through the discipline and philosophy of nonviolence. And I've never believed anything more than I believe that sentence I read in my entire life. If there's one thing you ever get from me, aside from that, yes, I drink a lot and uh, I dance very poorly, is, but so did Vanilla Ice. Uh, we should never forget that ordinary people can collectively achieve social change through the discipline and philosophy of nonviolence. There's nothing more important to know than that. There's nothing more important to realize than that. And there's nothing more important to know than the powers that be, the governments, the corporations, whatever, the church, uh, are, are more frightened of that than anything else. People being collectively organized on the same page and being nonviolent and moving forward with their agenda is the thing that changes the world. The world 
tilts on these things. Uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, 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 um, uh, Kim Sung Il in, uh, in Burma, uh, whoever you can think of, whatever heroes you fucking have, Martin Luther King, whatnot. It's because they keep that uh, Mr. Uh, 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 Mahatma Gandhi, whoever you can think of that in their mind was able to organize a group of people. You know all these names because they're as important as anyone else. They're more important than the Duke of Wellington uh, or, or, or any warmongering asshole that made war. Because to make peace and to put people together and to bring us all together and to move forward as a society, lifting all of us up. And you'll remember that when Gandhi did the, the march into uh, 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 the salt marshes uh, to take back control of the salt, the symbolism of taking the, uh, the untouchables with him is not lost on all of us. The fact that Jesus, whose name is so invoked uh, uh, so frequently in the United States as uh, someone, and that the people who invoke Jesus' name are often um, unmindful of the poor and the needy, um, that Jesus uh, consorted with prostitutes and lowlifes and uh, types of the street, and that uh, we all need to look inside ourselves uh, for a little bit of that kind of uh, beauty. The discipline of philosophy and nonviolence uh, is the most important thing in the world. As I've said a million times on the show, war is for the rich to make money. None of us want to make war. No one in Syria wants to make war. No one in fucking Nigeria wants to make war. No one in fucking Ukraine wants to make war. They don't want to make war. We want to live our lives. War is made by these fucking people who want to make a profit off of it. That's why war is made. And I'm including ISIS and whomever you can think of. But our, our government, my, my government, your government, when I say my government, people always say, do you get homesick when you're away from America? No. <laughs> do you get homesick when you're away from England? Fuck no. You're like, fucking Spain is awesome. <laughs> I never want to go home. There's patatas bravas and the sun shines all the fucking time. I don't want to go back to Northampton. In Shire and watch a cow put its head through a garden chair. <laughs> Amelia Boynton Robinson was called the matriarch of the. Vo- We're going to start the show right now. <laughs> Amelia Boynton Robinson was called the matriarch of the voting rights movement, and whose photo uh, was beaten. Uh, there was a famous photograph of her lying on the ground in 1965, beaten, gassed, and left for dead. A couple of salient pot- uh, uh, points about Ms. Robinson. Walking near the front of the line and subject to the full force of the troopers' blows, Mrs. Boynton Robinson, then known as Amelia Boynton, was knocked unconscious. So what happened was uh, Mr. Clark, who was the head of the police in uh, Selma, the, uh, they all organized and they were going to do a nonviolent march across the bridge. Well, that was too much for the police there, and they brought out all the state troopers, and they started beating heads in, and that includes this woman uh, at the time, 50 years ago. Now, mind you, she was 104, so how old was she then? Uh, Mrs. Robinson was knocked unconscious. One widely reproduced press photograph shows her lying insensible on the ground with a white officer standing over her nightstick in hand. Another shows a fellow marcher taking her in his arms and struggling to lift her up. That's why when they went across the bridge this year, Obama was with her and she was in her wheelchair. Uh, News coverage of Bloody Sunday, and yes, it's that Bloody Sunday, in which 17 demonstrators, including Mrs. Robinson, were hospitalized, was considered pivotal in winning wide popular support for the civil rights movement. After her release, Ms. Boynton Robinson was a guest of honor at the White House on August 6, 65, when Lyndon Johnson signed the Federal Voting Rights Act into law, which has been eviscerated, revoked, and desiccated. Um, the Voting Rights Act is a, a very serious issue in my country. Are you going to talk about uh, Jeremy Corbyn or anything that's happening in England? <laughs> Not this episode, you guys. Uh, now, Lyndon Johnson was an enlightened president, but I just wanted to hit you to something. August 6, 1965 is 102 years 
after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And that's what we're still dealing with. And you know what's going on in America because you see it on the news and shit like that. We're still dealing with this every day. Uh, we had the chance in 1776 when we signed the Declaration of Independence to say all men and women are created equal, but we didn't fucking do it. We had the chance to free the slaves, and we didn't do it, and we're paying for it every goddamn day. However, I believe what John Lewis said, which is that collective uh, organization and nonviolence are the answer to everything. And I'm not, maybe I'm naive as fuck. Call me what you will. Uh, let's see here. Miss Boynton, uh, let's see. Uh, she entered Georgia State Industrial College for Colored Youth and uh, went to Savannah University. She took a job as a demonstration agent with the Department of Agriculture, where she gave instruction in food, nutrition, and homemaking in rural households throughout the county. With her husband, Samuel William Boynton, whom she married in 1936. Sweet Christ. She spent decades attempting to register black voters in Alabama, despite nearly insurmountable odds, including prohibitive examinations designed to deter black aspirants. She managed to register there herself in the early 30s, which brings me back to this election. The election in 2000, the election in 2004, were completely rigged in the United States, and black people were struck off the rolls. That's what's going on all the time. Um, you may have noticed in your last election that no one in Scotland voted for Labour because your Labour candidate was shit, and it was real fucking weak. Um, but it can change. Uh, she, uh, let's see here. He died in 63, da-da-da. She ran for Congress. She got 10% of the vote. Let's see here. Uh, after her death, uh, she lived – after his death uh, – oh, no, at her death, she lived in Tuskegee. And this one I thought was – she was a, an activist in her entire life and an absolutely indispensable human being. Uh, a son, Bill Boynton, died last year. Well, obviously, because she's had sons that are elderly. She's 104. Her, her, her children are older than anyone in this crowd. Survivors include another son, Bruce Carver Boynton, whose godfather was George Washington Carver. I don't know if you know who George Washington Carver is, uh, but he's a, a black American scientist of some note. And when I was a little kid, was one of the only famous black people who they would let you study in grade school uh, because he had uh, uh, done a bunch of work in, in the naturalist field and, and had uh, discovered hundreds of uses for peanut oil and other many useful things and was a genius. Um, that, to me, was very profound. Uh, she received the Martin Luther King Jr. Freedom Medal uh, in 1990. By the way, she organized the march, and um, uh, King was on the second line of that march. Anyway, she's a beautiful person, and uh, Amelia Boynton Robinson is not only swirling in the heavens, she's organizing the heavens right now so that St. Peter will let in everyone and stop his fucking bullshit interrogation at the door. <laughs> You have been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out. May every page you turn me to such a page. May every bell that rings your ear. Cool, Papa Bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds.